McDonald's will make you fat. They serve Big Macs. They serve quarter pounders. They will put pounds on you. Rock and roll McDonald's. Rock and roll McDonald's. Rock and roll McDonald's. Rock and roll McDonald's. And now it's time to sit back and enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast. The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror! <laughs> well, this flick has a hellish freak, dear. But it ain't no Cenobite Who's that moonhead aberration? Hey! Well, they call that freak Mac tonight Hello, moon men A lot of people like to talk about the movie Mac and Me a movie made by McDonald's to cash in on E.T. with its own cute alien. What a lot of people don't know is McDonald's also entered a world of gritty horror with the movie Nightbreed, starring McDonald's own moon-faced mascot, Matt Tonight. Hello and welcome to the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. I am Chris Honeywell and I am here with Chris Tyler, the hair metal hero. Everything's true. God's an astronaut. Oz is over the rainbow. And Midian is where the monsters live. Mr. Luke Giaconetti. Whether it's commies, freaks, or third world Y-chromosome mutants, we are there. And Jason Giaconetti. Are you going to kill him or not? All he want is balls and his eyes. Unless you want them. I am amazed that we did that whole roundtable and not a single person said, they'll rip off your head and shit down your neck. <laughs> <laughs> well, well the, other, the other line I had was this. I was, I was, I was that one, and I didn't know if everyone was going to be super serious or be silly or whatever. And the other one was, hang on, let me find it. Uh, here. Uh, fuck. Oh, no, nope. Oh, it goes, I'm not one of them. I'm here to destroy them. <laughs> yeah. That was yeah, my that, That's a little choice. more serious. It's a little more serious than the one I chose, yeah. It's but. like Shangri-La on dope. <laughs> well, I actually, that <clears throat> actually on a on a serious note, um, this is our first post Sean Engel fault of startling monster horror tales of terror, and I guess I, I guess if there's people who just listen to this show and maybe don't listen to any other shows, um, Sean passed away a couple months ago, and we've had you know shows in the can, and this is the first one we've recorded, and. And in, in introduction to this show, this we've been doing Freak's Choice for the last about five months because there's five of us. And so we all picked just a random movie. And this was the last of the five. And it was Sean Engel's pick. So kind of sucks that he's not here. 
Yeah, it sucks. Talk about this movie. And uh, I'm sorry to bring things down, guys, but I just, I guess I had to address it. Yeah, it does have before, to be. Before we, before we went on, in case anybody was like, where's Sean? Yeah, but you know, um, <clears throat> and uh, and I've talked about this on some other shows I've done. Sean would want us to to do this and, and give, because uh, Sean loved this film. And that's why he picked it. That's I remember when we had it. the discussion, he talked about how this was this was one that he really, really liked and he really wanted to talk about. So I'm I'm sad that, that uh my friend's not here to talk about it with us, but I know he would have beat the living crap out of this movie. So I yeah, I was I, I I was gonna say I was real I would have really loved to have Sean around to talk about this one because really wanted to hear what he yeah. <laughs> I'm not I I'm not gonna say that I didn't like this movie, but I I I think it's a a, a failed attempt. I, I wouldn't say failed masterpiece, but it's a, a good movie that could have been a really great movie. And I would have been really curious to see what it was about it that like really resonated with him. Yeah. But perhaps we should say what we're what film we're talking about is Clive Barker's Nightbreed, based on the what was it like Cabal. a novel? Yeah, Cabal it's a is, it's a it's a novella. And actually, the no, what's funny is that. In most editions of Cabal, there are several short stories included. One of them, in my copy, is The Last Illusion, which would go on to be the basis for Lord of Illusions. Yeah. So it's got some Clive Barker movie tie-ins there for you. Yeah, but, but the thing about Barker is a lot of you see, um, you know, that's where uh, the Hellbound Heart became Hellraiser, and this and Cabal became Nightbreed, and Lord the the you know the Lord of Illusions. His his short story or his novellas, I should say his story, his novellas, um, and if, if you haven't read any of his novellas, it's well worth reading them. They pack a lot of punch. He's not, he doesn't pull back. It's not he's not kind of meandering around. There's there's not a lot of space for him to do that. So his stuff hits you really hard, which which is why you can see why these things, these books could become movies. They have a lot of substance to them. They're not a lot of time and that gets it out there for you. And it's definitely it'll hit you right in the face. Um, one of the things I just want to mention this because Luke and I uh, actually we talked about this earlier, and we think we were all talking about it before. Um, when you talk about uh, Nightbreed, let's just make sure we're all on the same page with this. Um, Nightbreed, as it was released in 1990, uh, was a much more truncated movie uh, than what originally was supposed to be out there. Some of you might know that there was another version released called the Director's Cut that was released this year. And then there's something called the Cabal Cut. The Cabal Cut is the much longer work print that has been restored from VHS. That runs about 159 minutes. There's some versions that run 145 minutes. The Director's Cut runs 120 minutes. And the original ran just, I think, shy of like about 90 minutes or so. Okay, well, I think it was 104 minutes. So just... So we understand there's going to be a lot of talk tonight about different things and that happen and why movies were like what should be there, what's not there. So if you've never seen the director's cut and you're like, I don't know what they're talking about, it's probably because you've only seen the original yeah, cut from yeah. the theater. Well, and the thing is this, I have never, I'll be honest, I have never seen the Cabal cut. I've never seen the three, the, the 159 or the 145 minute Cabal cut. I was not at either of the two places they were shown when they were shown. I've seen the directors and I've seen the, the theatrical, and they are different movies. And I can only imagine how much more different they would be with an, an additional 40 minutes. You know, yeah. Well, at 159 yeah. minutes, you're talking about 40 more minutes of film, and it's already 40 minutes different from the other one. Yeah. 
Yeah. So. I have, now, the thing about um, this, oh, go, go ahead, Chris. I don't know if I'd be down with the three-hour version of it because it was getting a little long, uh, and and we I, I we pretty all of us watched the two-hour director's cut version. So I guess if anybody's gonna go, well, out, I also watch watched the other. I also watched the other version too. I watched both versions. Mm -hmm. But that's the one that like we're gonna be using as our central discussion and and working sure. off the other, the other two. But um. Yeah, it, I originally, I think I originally saw this back when Scott Gardner and I were roomies. It, it had to be like probably 92. It was whenever it was out on video and Scott Gardner was working at a, at a video store. And um, I remember, all I remember is watching it. I remember Mac Tonight. <laughs> I remember the, 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 there was a graveyard involved and that I remember thinking, man something happened there you know there there uh, this made no sense and uh i had like a bunch of technical quibbles with it too but i couldn't i just couldn't remember i all i remember was that the monsters were the good guys were the were the um you know the central characters and the ones you were to have sympathy for so I was looking forward to the director's cut because I'm like, okay, I'm sure a lot of, I'm, you know, I mean, there's so many stories of the movie that got cut down to 90 minutes because the studio didn't know what to do with it and ruined it. And uh, so I was expecting it to be, it, this movie definitely was more coherent. I did figure out what was going on a lot more, but just for the amount of, like you said, it's a novella, a novella that he's packed a lot of stuff into in, in movie time, <clears throat> you, what happens in the movie and what is communicated in the movie could have been done in an hour and a half. Yeah. And, and it could have been done more. What, what, it, it, but at two hours, you could have like done that hour and a half of communication and use the other half hour to um, basically flesh out every character except for the main character. The main character was fleshed out enough for a movie, but you really don't get to know anybody else. You get there's you know there's moments with some of the 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 monsters where you know you're picking up their relationships and stuff, but for the most part. And I'm and I'm a big fan of getting thrown into something and not having everything explained and knowing everything's backstory, but it was hard to identify with a lot of, with almost any character except for you know the main character and his girlfriend. Everybody yeah. else was was sort of window dressing. Yeah, window dressing, cool looking, and cool doing cool things when they're fighting and and speechifying a little bit but um yeah i thought I, I thought it could have been flush flushed out a little bit a lot more yeah, which well, that, is really strange because it's a writer directing it and he's directing yeah. his own stuff you'd think he would really have flushed it out more see well now my, now the thing with 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 this movie is that i first saw this probably when it came on hbo or video back in the 90s with with my brother right and i and i liked i liked the movie back then i i did i i hadn't read any of Barker's stuff at that point but I but I like Nightbreed I enjoyed it and I also loved the soundtrack and uh I have the soundtrack here on I'm holding it up to the mic my compact cassette yes I have the, the Danny Elfman score to Nightbreed but after I watched Nightbreed I sought out and found a copy of Cabal that I still have up uh, up in uh, one of my rooms and one of the bookcases and because I like the story so much I wanted to read this 
after reading Cabal, I was like, wow, Nightbreed is not that great of an adaption of Cabal. There's a lot of stuff that just doesn't isn't right, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas now watching the director's cut, it's like, okay, it, he he made an adaption of Cabal. That's what this is. So some of the stuff you're talking about, Chris, as far as like not knowing, not getting to know any of the characters besides Boone and Laurie. Wasn't in the book that, either. Yeah, that's Cabal. So uh-huh. Cabal is very much a, is a very much a personal journey for Boone and, you know, mm. finding the place that he belongs and, and you know, how how Lori fits into it, how Decker fits into it. It's very typical of Barker in that sense is that he usually even in more is his longer novels like Sacrament is the one I always come back to because I really enjoyed Sacrament. Sacrament has a couple of characters that we get to learn about, but it really only focuses on our main character for the majority of that book. And it really focuses on his perceptions of what's going on and his experiences. Cabal is much the same way. And so I thought that this director's cut of Nightbreed did a really good job of telling the story of Cabal, you know, f- warts and all. Because there, there are parts of this that, even in the book, are not super clear as to what some people, like Decker's motivation, yeah, why he cares there. so much about Midian is not there, but it's not there in the book. So it's like, okay, he's it's Barker's not telling us this for whatever right. reason, right. whatever his motivation is. He's not telling it to us. So he didn't feel the need to tell it to us in the movie either. You know? Well, I, I, I it almost has the feel of an origin story or the first of the first chapter, or the first book in a series or something. It's like, okay, we'll we'll introduce our protagonist and you get to see the future, you know, main characters of the story from an outsider's point of view and in, in his initiation into it and then having to lead them, you know, to another safe place. So, you know, maybe he planned on writing more books or I don't know. For all I know, he did write more books, but no, there's never well, been a the thing is Barker all. originally visioned this as the first of a trilogy of movies. It, yeah, it, it feels like it. Well, but it, he did. He true. He had signed a deal with uh, with was it uh, Morgan Creek, and they had a, a, they, part of their deal was he had it was going to be three movies. It was there was Nightbreed, then there was another movie in the middle, and then and then like Nightbreed Two. They didn't have names for everything yet, but it right. truly was going to be a trilogy of movies he was making with them. Um, or the, it was supposed to be Nightbreed, then uh, an adaptation of Son of Celluloid, and then a sequel to Nightbreed. Well, so he had he had he had a vision of making this a bigger, not just being just the one shot nightbreed but actually going into a whole thing well i remember when he, he in some ways he reminds me a little rob zombie and and mm-hmm. somebody from another field like ah, i'm gonna be a filmmaker which usually means disaster but then after um hellraiser and i remember like legitimate critics going hellraiser isn't a great movie but for somebody who's just like learning the art of cinema and going from being a writer to a filmmaker, he's he's got a handle on the language of film, and you know this guy, and he, there's some big ideas in here, and this guy could really be going someplace, and that was sort of the buzz on him. And Nightbreed to me seemed like a step back, and I, it might have had to do like with the cinematographer he had. I don't, I, I should have IMDb'd and checked out like the different people that he, if there was differences in people that he worked with. Because this movie, just from a technical aspect, just seems more amateur. Like the lighting is very generic. It could be it's it's moody when it has to be, but in a generic way. It's it, it's got it's got a little bit of that Canadian TV sheen. Well, yes, and and I wonder if uh, Clive Barker's British, correct? Is yeah. He, uh, so I was like, 
when I saw the scene where they had where it goes full balls out goofy where they're handing out the guns and the you know it's yeah. getting all like amosexual yeah. with the guy licking the garrot and you know everybody's like you know yeehaw and I'm like I wonder if this is a British guy's view uh, well <laughs> of what America you know like I wonder if he's being a little satirical or if he's maybe like I don't even know if it's that. Like, or well, then I thought maybe he's trying to make an American '80s style movie. I don't even you know, know if in it's that, that. 80s look. I think what it is is, and I'll and uh, and now here's the question I'm going to ask: Was Clive, was he out at the time? Did like did, was it well known that he was that he was gay when this when the when the book? No, the movie, at the time no. I don't. I didn't, no, no, in the okay. 90s, I don't. Oh think well, so, I'm, yeah. so I mean that's really the thing. In in uh, you know it's always. It, clearly with the main character who's there's nobody more sexualized in this movie than the main character right he's the object of of lust that the camera pans on the most <laughs> let's be honest here and if this is i keep forgetting that that's that because like oh today, that's, it's that smeared all over the place sort of thing but i mean that's one of the then yeah i mean that's one of the thing with barker's works though is it's the the weirdness underneath the normal in everyday life. Now, right, if right. he was a closet, uh-huh, if he was still uh-huh, closeted uh-huh. at the time, then you can maybe, and I'm probably speaking out of turn here, but is he clearly transposing himself onto Boone? And he's, you know, is this the, well, the guy that's in I shadows mean, no, that's looking a, for... That's a universal concept with anything that anybody's got of it. But the, it's the fact that it's... personality evolving or... But it's the fact that to... it's, you know, it's monsters. That's where the monsters well, live. And that's yeah, where your sins will be is, forgiven. But that's the thing is... But that's another thing that reminds me of, like, John, the works of John... And this is why... Like I'm, I'm, I'm. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't say I like this movie, but there's something. There's things going on with it. You know. I mean, just it, of really of all the of uh, of all the five films, this one really like has to me some of the most interesting sort of things to discuss about it because there is there's not as much going on in the screen as what you sort of interpolate out of it and the and like that aspect of it was something that like. I think, Hero, you and I had some a conversation just on our own about it where you said something similar to that, and I'd totally forgotten that we'd talked about it. it it's it's one of the things, like, but I it love... it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I love Hellraiser. I think that's a, a darn good horror movie. I think there's a lot of bloat in this movie. Like you said, it's one of those things that I think he could have communicated a little more to the point in what he yeah. wanted to do. I mean, because the subtext is, I mean, is smeared all over the film. You, I mean, you can't get away from it. It's, you know, it, it's the same thing. Decker is the bad guy. We don't know his motivations. He just wants to kill all of them. I mean, if you want to associate that with homosexuals, I'm sure that's right. part of what was in Barker's head when he wrote it. Well, it's, you know? it's, it's like the John, John Waters thing where it's like, they're, they're the monsters who you know everybody's afraid of the monsters monsters but then you find out the monsters are really just a normal society like everybody else and yeah. and um, what i like about it and it was a thing that they started doing in the 90s alan moore was good at having protagonists that had a good well not the main protagonist but the people you know that he ends up allying with there's a lot of them that just have a really ugly, I, I guess it's evil stripe in them, or at least bloodthirsty, murderous. 
streak who are on the you know on the side that you're supposed to be um because their murderous streak is is less i guess than the regular humans murderous streak or whatever but they weren't afraid to have the characters be truly like kind of threatening and scary they didn't all turn into you didn't find out that they're all really pussycats when when you get to know they're 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 still monsters yes and then there's that sub level of monsters that you're not even exposed to at the beginning not even the berserkers but like the fish people and the 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 person whose head is in their stomach and it just gets yeah. weirder and weirder the further they actually go down. Mm-hmm. What was that song? My love is like a ticking clock berserker. berserker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing that the thing with um, I've always liked about Parker's work, and not and even even putting aside the 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 homosexual themes, and specifically with Cabal and, and Nightbreed, is you know. Uh, it was it was funny because the other night we were watching from with my kids for the first time Return of the Jedi, right? And with when the Rancor gets killed and the Rancor keeper runs in there and breaks down and starts crying, Roger Ebert wrote about that. He goes, Everybody loves somebody. That's you true. know? Mm-hmm. And the corollary to that, in my mind, is in everybody has a place that they belong, you know? Whether you're a monster, whether you're a freak, whether you're a commie, a third world Y chromosome mutant. Whether you're a homosexual, whether you're whatever, whatever way that you are the other from where you are, there is a place that you belong. And that's what the story is about for Boone. It's the place that he doesn't belong in normal society because he really deep down is a monster. He just needs something to let that out and find Mitty in the place where he can actually be himself. And again, he has to actually die and be reborn to die. Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah, exactly. So even so, even again, the, yes, clearly it, it's it's a, the the homosexual allegory is there. I mean, there's there's no denying yeah. it. I mean, the, the, the old timer same... even says, "What did they ever do to you?" And it's like it's smacking yeah. you in the face. But the uh, but but you can take that that same allegory and apply it to any group. So you anybody can identify with that's this. true. That and that's what I, I liked about. Every, you know, I said this to my wife. I said. I don't think you would like it because it's kind of gruesome in places. I said, but I think you would like the story. I said, this story, in a lot of ways, this is the horror equivalent of Harry Potter. Oh, my God. It is. It's the special guy who doesn't fit in. He doesn't belong where he is. He finds this place that exists. It's real, It's but it's right there in front of you, but it's just out of focus, and you can't see it. Yeah. And once you can see it, it's a whole new world open up before you. And guess what? Everyone there is like you. And you're and the chosen not, one of yes, that Yes, and you're the chosen one who's going to save everyone. Oh, my God. So my mind is of, fucking blown so, right now. So, but that's what, but it's, it's, a, it's a universal theme. Yeah. Of, yeah. You know, everybody's got a home, and everyone belongs somewhere. Well, and family well, is what you make of it. So that's that's the thing about about Barker. He's a horror writer, but his themes are not necessarily horrific. Well, this, you know, speaking of homosexual subtext, it's a lot like a sort of proto X Men movie too. It has a lot of like the first two X Men movies. Yeah, absolutely. And that's and th- and that's another thing. Again, it's where everybody belongs somewhere. And then you first meet the mutants, and they're all like bizarre, and 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 mutants often look like. A, uh, like satanic and demonic. Everybody in this movie has yellow teeth. Oh, the makeup well, in this movie is great. I was going to say, plus they are Canadian, so are they? Yeah. Canadian? All of them. Boone, Boone's they, an American. No, no, but the character, the characters are Canadian. Well, well that's true. They, I, I was just thinking, everybody on the set must have been a smoker, because and and not not thinking that that um, high definition would. <laughs> 
<laughs> one day be a a thing. Uh, I, uh, I would uh, like to take a moment and apologize to any Canadian listeners that I didn't actually mean that. that was we we love you, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do I do like the suburban guy watching the 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 uh, the Flames game on TV. That was pretty funny. I'm sorry. Well, you typical watch Canadian household, I guess, watching oh, yeah. the hockey, drinking a beer. Plenty of teams but, to uh, choose. Yeah, from. no. I mean, everybody smokes in this. This this is like almost like a movie from the '60s in that sense. That's what I'm um, saying. I'm saying everybody was smoking on the. All the actors were. He was maybe maybe Clive Barker is like I want all smokers on this. Well, he's set. a smoker. Well, he's a major smoker. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. If you ever well, hear well, Clive well, Barker well, now, you can tell he's been smoking <laughs> for a very long time. Yeah. Any oh, interview I, I you watch with him now, he's got a glass of wine and a cigar oh okay yeah. okay I, I forget the the part actually what's funny with the smoking and this goes to the idea of, of like you were saying of that the monsters are really they're they're monsters but they're still people and i forget his name jay you might remember his name that the the one who bites boone Pelican. who's got the dreadlocks yeah eloquent eloquent yeah when, when when they first run into him and he pulls out the cigarette and starts smoking yep, yep. it's you know it's it that's that's such a, especially in the late 80s, early 90s like that. That's such a, you know, it, it, you just, okay, yeah, you don't even think about, wait, this dude's a friggin' monster and he's just having a cigarette. You know? Well, he's, he's got some of the best lines yeah. in the movie Meat. that are not, like, but, but, that they're not the lines where you're like, oh, he's really, like, he says them to be condescending. He sends them to be, you know, talking about how below them the humans are right and you go like, oh come back now you hear like he says that yeah. like like oh my god like it sounds like they're he's making but he says he's making fun of them but he's the lines are so good and because you look at him and he's truly a monster you know you're not looking at him he doesn't look like some of them who you could totally pass for a human he's not passing for a human <laughs> yeah know? no no, no. <laughs> yeah he's like some of them look like that they just could have lived lived a little close to three mile island maybe you know and but yeah, it's a uh, yeah. I I the practical effects in this all. The, I think all the makeups are pretty damn impressive in this. For just because oh, yeah. the sheer amount of people in facial appliances that you have is ridiculous mm-hmm. in this. Yeah, and and often on the screen at the same time. Yeah, which is a huge deal because then you got to put that all on that day. You know, instead of doing batches of them and doing shoots of them. Yeah, I mean, and some of them are wild, like just yeah. yeah that's like a full apply. That's like a full mask. But then you well, look at, well, that, some of them are full masks with like puppet puppetry aspects. Of even them. the subtle ones, like um, the one for Narcisse, the guy who cuts his own face. It's like that final look that he has, where his whole other, you know, his real face is there, but then the appliance yep. built up behind it to see like whatever lizard skin is underneath it. That's an incredible looking makeup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, that, that, and again, I, that not, also goes. Sorry. Go ahead, Jack. I'm just no, saying it, it just speaks volumes, though, to um, what, how they spent their money, right? Um, yeah. Because when you look at what's in the movie, uh, there's a lot of scenes. Any, anything shot inside, uh, you know, it's it's not like there's no grand scenes. It's not like we're watching uh, Hateful Eight, where we're clearly shooting on a mountain. We're clearly right. shooting all this stuff. You know, he definitely spent his money where it needed to spend. Uh, the budget, I think, was around eleven million dollars for this, and you see oh, the money on the screen. You know, because, yeah, he's not, he's not. He's, this wasn't clearly. He wasn't like, let me go pay some actor, you know, top dollar because we need a name. He's showing you what's there. Uh, you know, even the what do you call? Even the scenes um, 
whenever you have uh, when they're going down into their um, when you're going lower and lower into you know into Midian, then you start seeing. Just look at the walls. Look at everything there. It's yeah. all it. It feels claustrophobic, and that's one of the complaints a lot of people have had about this movie. It's like, oh, it just feels tiny and feels small. And I'm like, tiny and small mean claustrophobic when you're trying to build atmosphere. Right. You know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And, well, and, it, and, as, and as botched as the marketing was for this movie originally, mm-hmm. once and in one sense, I think they did a good job. They didn't shy away from that. I mean, the, the poster for this movie is everybody all made up with Boone standing right there in the middle. Yep. You know what you're getting from a, you know, from a, from a, a latex and grease paint standpoint coming well, the, into this. You know? That's that was. I, well, I remember I still have it somewhere and I'm looking to see if I have it on this one shelf. But no, somewhere I still have it. There, there was and I can't remember if it came in a magazine or if I got it just like stacked up somewhere. But it was a fold out publicity item for the movie and it was just a little probably like four or five inch square thing but each and it folded out about 16 times you know eight times and then you could flip it over and each square had a different monster on it with their name and something about them way more information than you got from the movie (laughs) about them and the first and the one on the you know the first one you saw was mac tonight and i was just like whoa what's this and i've had i've kept it it's somewhere it's probably in with my with my trading cards but um i remember there being a a bit of a, a decent amount of promotion at least like in magazines and stuff i remember seeing magazine ads for it and stuff and I think there was a, a degree of anticipation after um, Hellraiser. Um, clearly, you had stuff in Fangoria, your Starlog, those kind of magazines, you know, where, where clearly this is the audience you're going for. But I seem to remember, and Luke might be able to back this, I remember there being, not everyone, but certain certain comics on the inside back cover having the, the one sheet. Yeah, uh, and I could be wrong, but I'm saying, but I think that they were trying to push this to that the comic book fan because they would totally accept that there's monsters and whatever. And I seem to remember that. And again, I could be wrong. But this seems to be the one that I remember them being. I don't remember there there being a lot of this the, the TV ads for this. Whereas like a movie like let's say Dark Man, which I remember running TV ads every single time WCW wrestling was on. I don't remember Nightbreed being specifically targeted any certain audience uh, on TV, but I remember it being in, in at least in a printed form in comic books. And then like Cine Fantastique love this thing. They yeah. had this thing every you know. Because it's right up their alley. It's fantasy. You know, they want to show it off. They want to show the monsters. They want to show you all the They pieces. were going to get at least half an issue out of it at some point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, just and think about this. And, and this is before um, before Rue Morgue and Horror Hound and the, 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 the current batch are, were around. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you had Har- that was where you got information from. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, so so when we saw like when, when the, when the Cinefantastique would come. Um, there were plenty of times when I would roll my eyes when I'm like, Farscape, no, you know, or uh, Babylon 5, no, because I was really hoping to see another issue about like actual, you know, stuff I wanted to read about. But what happens is when you had a movie like this, now I don't remember if it had a, uh, if Cinefantastique had a cover piece or an actual cover on this, but it definitely covered it in more than one issue. I mean, does that sound, that's such, Luke, it was, Luke knows the Cinefantastique. Yeah, like I, 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 I want to say that they at least did like a, like an art, like an in-production article. And then when it came out, I think they did a couple articles yeah. as yeah. well. I, I just don't, I, I don't remember if I had a cover. I remember there being a cover. I, you know what, why don't, I'm going to, you guys 
discuss discuss amongst yourselves, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll check real quick because I want to say there was a cover, but I might be wrong. I, I have a, a for me. I seem to remember it being it being Decker, like the him in the like all the different pieces on there, and Decker in the background with the knife. But I could be wrong. Well, um, Cinefantastic was like quarterly, right? It was. It didn't come out monthly. No, it definitely was not monthly. So, like cover space on that was a premium. Well, what I'm saying oh. is, but they definitely, if if they thought this was going to be like, yeah, they thought you know, because because the thing would help. Remember, Hellraiser was not a movie that people were talking about or anything until it hit, and people were like, "Did you Whoa. see this?" Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I, after Hellraiser, like Clive Barker's name became, you know, now that's that's somebody else. And what you know, what really helped Hellraiser was, um, you know, you have uh, what is that? Stephen King, right? Doesn't he say, "I've seen the new face of horror," and it's it's Clive Barker or something yeah. like that, right? That quote has always they always use that quote, but for like Stephen King was a name that people. People had, even if they didn't read his books, they knew who Stephen King was. And if he's going to back this guy, then this guy's got to be serious about being a horror guy, you know? So, well, I know I paid attention to whoever Stephen King was. Uh, that's probably how I started paying attention to Clive Barker. I think it was Weave World was the first somebody, or, you know, it was probably on somebody's urging to read it. Mm. Okay, I just yeah. did a quick check. Nightbreed did not have a cover, but Nightbreed was featured in multiple issues of Cine Fantastique with articles. Okay. There was a cover of, of Clive Barker with Pinhead. Oh, that's okay. the, the cover copy says Clive Barker in you know, a horror genius or something like that. And that's that that was uh, the I think it was that, that was the first issue to have anything with Nightbreed in it. And then also the one with the Jack Nicholson, Tim Burton, Batman cover as well has some Nightbreed stuff in it. And by the time that this came out, I want to say Cine Fantastique was actually uh, bi-monthly. I want to say it wasn't month, but it was published uh, six times a year, so there was more covers. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's the point is still met. Is like this was this is the exact kind of film that a magazine like Cine Fantastique would want to promote. You know, it's a, a horror film from the guy that did Hellraiser, which they loved. It's it's Clive Barker, so it's a literary thing. So it, it adds that level that layer of gravitas to it. You know. And then and special effects galore. It's a special effects movie that's not ashamed of it, which is one of the reasons, oddly enough, that they had the relationship that they had with with you know with other filmmakers was even if their film stuff wasn't great, they were they were in favor of genre filmmaking. That was always their thing. And this yeah. clearly, and Barker's whole ovure of filmmaking is genre filmmaking. You know, even if he even when he has something to say like this or or whatever it's still a genre genre is the first thing you know and uh, and that, that that's that's one thing I, i've always liked about barker both his his films and his book is is that whatever the theme is it's still pretty solidly horror you know yeah oh I mean, could, could you have told a story and had it been a fantasy story yes but this is clearly a horror story you know there's, you're not going to mistake this for an adventure no. or a mystery or some other genre. This is clearly I, a horror story. I, I could see it as being a sort of horrific beginning to a more for fantasy story if it ever, like, evolved and advanced. Let, let, me, let me give you a for instance. Let me give you a for instance. If you take this story, instead of Clive Barker writing it, Neil Gaiman writes it. Right, yes. That's a fantasy story, okay? It may have horrific elements it may have you know a psychopathic killer it may have a city full of monsters living under a graveyard but if neil gaiman writes that it's a fantasy clive barker writes it no question it's horror would it be so, like you know could you say horror fan horror slash fantasy totally but horror still comes first yeah 
Yeah. It, it, yeah. I, I know. I know. I'm splitting hairs here, but I think that would see what I'm getting at here is that Barker was not ashamed of being a horror guy. You know. No. No. Even like you get with a lot of the a lot of stuff after this in the '90s, where it's like, well, horror. You know, we're not. It's not really a horror movie. The, the line, again, talking about City Fantastique, you get these directors in there. It's like, I didn't want to make a horror movie. I wanted to make a movie about people and the decisions they made. It's like, that's code word for your movie sucks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean, and we know it's true because it's, it's, like a, the guys it's that code word for, for you're, you're either in film school or just out of film school. You know, but that's and, where and, this, but, what Luke's saying is this is where the, the term thriller came from. I don't mean Michael Jackson's thriller. Where they were like, because they couldn't give Silence of the Lambs best picture because it's a horror movie. No, no, it's a psychological thriller. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah with, the guy, with the dude that eats people and uh, right. another dude keeping people prisoner in the That's basement. Right. To think about that. Like, the movie, a horror movie can never be the best movie of the year, but a psychological thriller can. If you said to me, we have a movie that has a, a, a cannibal and we have a guy who's skinning women alive and wearing their skin. Now, I give you a story that could have been written by Clive Barker, uh, but it's not written by Thomas Harris. So the difference is now it's not a horror movie. Now it's a psychological thriller. Yeah. You take that exact same premise of a movie, take the exact premise of Silence of the Lambs, and you make it written by Clive Barker. Now it's a horror movie. Now he goes, why? Because Clive Barker would have focused the same way that they did on whatever. He would have focused on this right kind of stuff. But he's someone who's not afraid to say that he's that. And that's exactly what Luke was saying. He's not ashamed to be a horror writer. Right. You know? And you can take it one step further than that. You tell me that I've got a film about a cannibal and a dude that skins women and wears their clothes and say it's directed by Stuart Gordon, and no, you've yeah. got a whole nother type of thing going on. Yes. Yeah, you've yeah, got yeah. an you know, it's just like, movie. Yeah. yeah it's, so, so it'd still be a horror movie, but now it's like, oh, it's Stuart Gordon. Oh, geez. I don't know. If we, we, can we watch this with Mixed Company? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Whereas well, with like Barker, it's like, well, Barker, that's classy. You know? Yeah. He's a writer. He's well, English. Well, you know? Hang on, Luke. Hang on. <laughs> Before we, we, we... I'll tell you right now, when... when uh, uh, as our, our dad, uh, again, we, he, many people have heard about this. Uh, he saw Hellraiser and he thought Hellraiser was the uh, most disturbing movie he'd ever seen at that point. And I said, really? I figured it would have been Hellraiser 2 Hellbound. He goes, no, by that point, I knew what I was getting into. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's true. <laughs> when, when you, if you have never, if you had no idea what Hellraiser was, right? If you didn't know what Hellraiser was, first of all, you, you, I mean, it's just. First of all, why aren't you listening to this podcast? Well, that's <laughs> yeah. right. But I'm saying, why are why are the tens of people listening to this podcast now? Um, but I'm saying, but you you start getting a Hellraiser. Hellraiser doesn't stop. Hellraiser no. starts and it goes. And the thing is, and that's why I think Nightbreed is again a very different movie, but also it should be different. That's why Danny Elfman's music is so important in this movie. It's a great um, that's, score. But, 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 but like Danny Elfman music and, Night, and, and Hellraiser doesn't make sense, but makes sense here. Danny Elfman was able to give this, I don't want to say sense of whimsy, but that's kind of like, like magical sense of what's there. He brought not a hard edge to things, but his music moves along and it makes sense. It's kind of like the same way that in Beetlejuice, his music makes it seem kind of like that's not a very uh, could be a very horrific story, too. But it's clearly not right. Right. That that marriage of what's there. And Barker knows that. And that's the great thing about about Clive Barker. He knows what he wants to make, whether the 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 uh, the you know whatever company he's working for wants to, you know, whatever they might want this or that. And they'll cut his movie down. He makes the movie he wants to make. 
no matter what we're talking about, like Midnight Meat Train, we're talking about this, we're talking about any of those stuff. He makes the movie he's thinking about making and then whoever messes with it messes with it but he truly thinks about those things when you look at uh when you look at decker like the way his mask is designed the way his like his whole entire his character which you by the way get a lot more if those of you who have never seen the director's cut watch it you truly learn a lot more about decker than you did in the original cut which means you learn nothing about him in the original cut at all because you, you don't ba- learn a whole barely learn anything about and what's funny and w- w- when you're talking about hellraiser a, a lot of people and your dad's reaction to hellraiser a lot of people don't realize because a lot of the stuff brought up in hellraiser got copied and just mm-hmm. became you know standard in in those kinds of in those kinds of movies and 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 another thing that that all reminded me of is when i first watched this by this time in the 90s it's in only the 1990 early, though in, in, in the early yeah in, in the early 90s well i probably didn't i probably didn't see this till probably like 92 93 right, yeah, yeah, exactly. something like that by that time there had been just this glut probably because of silent what year was silence of the lambs like 88 or 89 something like that i will go I thought it was ninety-two. Ninety-two, <laughs> maybe. But I thought I could be wrong. In, in, in that time 91. period, there was just a glut of serial killer movies, <clears throat> to the point of where, sort of like how a serial killer, you know, and and a lot of it was based on probably true crime novels where you had profilers saying, "Well, this is how they tick." So there were a lot of movies, on, and there were serial killer trading cards. For some reason, serial killers and Elvis is alive were like beat to death in that time period. So when when his character shows up in this movie, it's at that point, there was such a shorthand that everybody assumed certain things about him when they found out that he was a serial killer. So it's like, oh, okay, so you almost he becomes he's just sort of the stereotype serial killer at that time. And I wonder if he didn't do that on purpose so there was just no chance to humanize him at all since he was the like epitome of the human monster in this movie he wanted to sort of even like dehumanize him even more to make him even more monstrous in in contrast to the real monsters maybe i don't know if he succeeded in doing that or maybe it was the first scenes with him in it, I was like, yeah, Cronenberg's acting is sort of like flat film school level. But by the end of the movie, I was pretty much of the opinion that he was my favorite part <laughs> of the whole movie. When he gets going, it's pretty fun. The mask is doing a lot of work, though. That's a, It's such a phenomenal looking yes. mask. Yes, but the thing is, David Cronenberg's a director and he's a creepy ass director. So, you know, when he would and and that's the thing is when you first see him, he's not in the mask and he's just kind of flat. And it's like, OK, they got Cronenberg to be in there. It's a st- stunt acting. But then when he gets a mask on, he so, he he knows what's working f- from the other side, you know, and he works that mask pretty good. I doubt he did his own stunts. But well, I'm and saying, the, but part of thing, that, and the thing with Cronenberg also, sorry to cut you off here. That's cool. The That's thing cool. with Cronenberg is that you know, he, he, in in a lot of ways, he's he's a lot like Wes Craven or Lucio Fulci and these a lot of these other horror guys. That if you didn't know who he was, you wouldn't give him a second look. He's such a normal looking dude, you uh-huh. know. Ultimately, he's a boring looking guy. So he's got this flat, boring delivery. He's got this 
His office is very boring. You know, he doesn't have any emotion. He's not memorable at all. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I agree with you. He, he, his performance is flat, but I really think it's it's intentional. He's designed oh, yeah. to be. Yeah. So he's, you know, so he, he kind of fits, like I said, like, uh, you know, you wouldn't. It was you know, off-putting he, he, he's at first. He's an unmemorable guy. You it's know? like his, his first two scenes, I was like, oh, this isn't going to work. And then after that, I was just like, oh, yeah. And every time Cronenberg's on screen, I'm like, all right, here we go. Go get him. <laughs> go well, get part him. of it, though, too, is think about this, is he's where he's put the mask on and he becomes much more animated, much more mm-hmm. like he's alive. Because why? Because that's what he is. The Without the mask on, if you want to get real deep here, that's him wearing the mask. That's right. him being Clark Kent. That's right. him being the the you know he's pretending. Constrained. Right. Yeah. He's pretending. He's trying to keep it inside. He's trying to do everything he can to be like, but you know you killed them. You know and it's like you're like, God, I mean, you just want to cave the guy's face in because you're like, God, he's such a dick. Yeah. But he's doing it on purpose. And especially when when they, when they shoot him, when they shoot Boone, he's got a gun. Like he just all of a sudden, like had a, you're like, holy shit! Like he totally just sold this guy out. And you know he's not a good guy, you know. And when Boone's, well, when he when he said he's got a gun and sort of pushed him away from him, yeah. it was literally mimicking throwing someone under the bus. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. You know? Well, but the thing is, but you know he's not a good guy. By that point, you already know he's not a good guy. Even, you know, like, you, he's giving him hallucinogenics, telling him it's yes. something else. Like, he's truly not a good guy. And the hard part was this, and, and, and Luke could probably back me up on this, because uh, in the original, in the, in the theatrical cut, you really don't get much of him at all. Like, he's no. there, but it's so, it's so secondary. You're like, part of me was saying, like, why did they even include this? They could have made this something different. When you see the director's cut, a lot of what they changed was stuff with him uh, because what happened was there, the, the the studios wanted a certain type of movie. Barker wanted to make a certain type of movie. Those, you know, didn't cut up. You take a movie that's, you know, three hours and you cut it to two hours and you cut it to a hundred and, you know, hundred uh, an hour and 40 and something's got to go. So what happens when they start taking that out, you don't even, you, you miss some of that. Um, excuse me. But we, you can see it even when he when to me one of my favorite scenes is when he takes the mask off when he's when they're after he's killed the uh, when they're at Midian and he reaches in and reaches into his mouth and hooks the mask and pulls it up and off. It's not taking the mask off from behind. He's putting his f- finger into his mouth. Now let's think. It's Cronenberg, right? We're talking about the, yeah. the, the you know body horror guy, body <laughs> horror stuff, right? He reaches into his mouth, the like the the weirdest way ever to take the mask off. <laughs> Fish hooks it off his because and it's so sexual the way he does it. He's shoving his finger in as if he's 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 putting it right in his mouth. It's clear. It's not him just grabbing the side of the mask. He's like 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 as as if it's it's going in and he pulls it off and you're. And then, you know, we all know at that point it's him. I mean, I like, no one's like, oh, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> oh, Bonnie, you know, kind of thing. But you're, it's just that idea there. And plus, too, the other thing is this. The knife he uses, did anyone recognize that knife? No? Okay. No, um, it wasn't a dead ringer's knife, was it, or something? No, it's the knife that that's what Jack Ripper used. That's the type of, that's, that's what they, right? Oh, okay. So, and, and the whole point of that is, I mean, that knife is so long and so phallic, right? <laughs> but it's, right, it's, it is, it's him stabbing into them. It's him, uh, he's, he's killing all these people and he's, and, and, and it's just his, but it's, but he purposely, he purposely used that. I mean, his name in the movie is Philip K. Decker. <laughs> yeah, that was not lost yeah. on me. 
Yeah. I'm like, like everything in here as, as again, Barker knows this. Barker is an author. He purposely went and got uh, uh, David Cronenberg. He mm-hmm. wanted Cronenberg for this part. It wasn't like, hey, I need he didn't, he like, I want you for this part. Cronenberg read it and said, yes, I want this part. Because why? Because it's at that different level. It's not, it's not just like, let's put a pretty face somewhere. As Luke said, he's not memorable. He's plain. He's vanilla. But when he puts the mask on, he's not playing around anymore. You know? Yeah. So, well, I mean, that, that, you yeah. know, that's, that's, that's a lot of this movie. There's no, I mean, the, what are the, the memorable characters from this movie are the ones whose faces we don't really see. It's the people wearing either a mask or wearing makeup and appliances, you know? Boone is not a memorable-looking guy. He's not a memorable guy until he becomes Cabal. He becomes a member of Midian, you know? Lori is not a memorable-looking gal, you know? None of the cops... The cops are all just anonymous, jackass, you know, jackass policemen, right? They're, they're, yeah, they're all either the big cops or Barney Fife's. <laughs> and so the, and the, only, so the only people that matter are the, you know... Right. And Decker even says it. He says, everybody has a secret face. And that, I mean, that's really, I mean, that that's every, that, you could say that about just about every Clive Barker uh, story ever told, right? I mean, I keep everyone my has secret, a secret face, face in the basement in a, in a box. Well, it's in a jar inside a box. <laughs> so, uh, it, that's, I mean, that, that's what I mean. It's, it's the thing about, uh, about Nightbreed is that I guess because I'm such a fan of Cabal, I'm, I, because I agree with Hero, I mean, even its director's cut, it probably could have been tightened up a little bit. You get that with director's cuts. Well, where sometimes it's sometimes it's things that probably should have been cut and and well, you know were and some, but you still get the the more true to what their vision was. And and I I understand what Barker was going for. So that's why, you know, the, I, I'm willing to overlook some of the the pacing and and some of the things well, that yeah they need to be tightened up. But to me, they still really work because it tells the it it services his story. Well, I I don't think. At, like the way that the the way it seems that they filmed it and put it together that like I wouldn't like if they were recutting this I wouldn't be like I would suggest trying to get this down to a fast hour and a half with what that because the way they shot it was to it, it didn't have a lot of story to it but it had a lot of atmosphere in it and if that atmosphere works and gets you into being in Midian then you can you can coast on that atmosphere a little bit and have people and you know enjoy just being in the in the movie but you would have had to film it differently or if you were going to make it tighter you would have had to film it filmed it and written it differently so i think like from conception he could have written a script that was that was tighter but from what it appears that they shot and i don't know what that what's in that other 40 minutes um, I, I, I think the, the director's cut would probably pr- be like fairly ideal, you know, unless we're missing a lot of character development on the monsters in Midian or something like that. And I have a feeling that we're not, I'll bet you it was a lot of uh, stuff that probably had to get cut. And I heard, I did a little reading about it and, and if he ever got to see it, it was, I guess, from different sources so it was very you know when you saw a scene that had been cut all of a sudden it's scratchy and a little bit worn out you know worn out or still has some pen marks on it you know grease pet grease pencil marks on it and stuff like that yeah, well, the 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 tapes that were circulating they were uh they found the, they, these tapes were found and they were work prints I mean, they were clearly work prints right so things were cut together things were now it's been Music shown missing and mm-hmm. yeah it, it, i mean it, they they did the best they could with what they had i mean yeah. that was truly what they were doing sound whole, effects missing right the whole point was to make this because cuz 
I'll be very honest with you. I never thought, uh, and I've had this conversation with our with our buddy John and Luke. That uh, I never thought they were ever coming out with anything but the original cut of the, the theatrical cut of Nightbreed, because the studios, uh, their line was, "There's not enough people who care about this movie for us to Just make spend money cut. on it." Yeah. yeah. And what happened was this. They finally got together, and the cabal cut happened and stuff, and then Shout Factory got behind it, and they put up – there was 5,000 special edition, like, um, three-disc releases. They sold out immediately. Immediately. So clearly there was enough there for them to do that. Yeah. And then the, the, the special edition I have is the director's cut, which is available – which is also the cut that's streaming currently on Netflix. Uh, they sell those; those are one of their best sellers because I think there's a lot of people who remember this movie and are like, "Wow!" And there's got to be more, and they were looking for that more, right? Mm. Uh, and I, I think, I think though, having seen originally, has, having seen Nightbreed, and that being the movie that I remember in my head, uh, and then obviously Luke reading Cabal. And us talking about it over the years, parts have been filled in. You know what I'm saying? Like my brain started filling parts in that weren't really there. Yeah. But now are there. The things that you're kind of filling in that aren't there. I mean, that's part of the problem is you think about it is uh, they they were going everything. They tried to do everything they could to get this to be the vision he wanted. But the studios like cut, 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 cut. And there was no sequel. There was no, you know, there was no trilogy. That's for sure. So we were never seeing the full you know, the full vision anyway. Yeah. You know, so the two hour cut to me feels like it's got to be pretty close, you know, relatively close. I mean, I don't know if he was envisioning putting out a three hour movie, which would have been, I don't know if the studio would have, even if it was a great movie, would have they probably would have had a problem with it being three hours long. So he was probably trying to get it down to two hours, an hour and a half, but like two hours seems to get everything you need to get into it to know what's going on so i mean well, that would be I mean, my recommended this, this, this two hour i mean i i just got this this director's cut of it um actually right after we did the burning i went and i ordered the burning on blu-ray and i got the the blu-ray dvd set of director's cut of nightbreed so this was i only recently watched this obviously because uh, it only just came out in 2015 or 2014 i think so uh, I mean, you know, so and so I I'm really enjoying this as a fan of the story. I agree with you. I think this two hour cut is a really is, is I think the best version we're gonna get of this. Because if you add I, too much more to this, there's not that much more story. And I'm happy not getting a lot of that characterization because it serves the the original story, but it gives me enough that I can sink my teeth into the actual narrative and not be so confused by parts of it just simply not making sense like in the theatrical cut. Right. And and I I just I have to think cuz it's one of those movies where I don't remember, you know, hardly anything about it, just the sw- slightest wisps of scenes and ideas and it was mostly the concepts and my my feelings about it that I remembered. And um and seeing this one while it got a little slow in points, I was thinking about it, you know, in the in the days I, I watched it like five or six days ago and I've been thinking about it a little bit every day, you know, and so I definitely got a lot more, you know, something more cohesive out of it this time. And the storyline and ideas of it started working in my head where before they didn't, you know, so and I, I, I often think, you know, looking back, how, how long ago was that? Had to be like almost 25 years ago and think, ah, oh, well, I was just young and 
maybe I was really wasted when I watched it, which was probably unlikely because I was probably hanging out with Scott Gardner <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, or, you know, maybe I was just, you know, dumb and, you know, dumber than I am now and didn't pick up on something of it. But oftentimes I surprise myself when I revisit it and, I, and I'll be like, oh, no, I remember, you know, OK, OK, I was fairly I'm still fairly of the same opinion. So I'm I'm hoping that I'm that consistent, that this is a, a, a big, a market improvement. Like most of my complaints about it are complaints that would go away. Well, I don't know. I haven't seen has he he's done more movies after after this, right? He's done a few more movies, right? I believe so. Uh, Let's find out. Wasn't there like a night train of Mid- terror? Mid- no, midnight, midnight night train. Yeah, but I don't think he yeah. directed that. Yeah, okay, it was just like based on a story or something. Yeah, it's one but, of his, but um... like Rob Zombie, it was like when I saw the first Rob Zombie's first movie and I was like, I don't really like this movie, but he, you know, keep trying, <laughs> keep going and you know. Oh. And then his second movie I really liked and then it's been sort of spotty after that, but well Devil's Rejects is a better is better movie overall than House of Thousand Corpses because House of Thousand Corpses was never going to live up to what it, it you know had it become mythologically because of all the you know waiting time and everything. See, I didn't know about that. anything. I sure. it, it just so when it showed when I when I figured it out figured out that it existed. I was very I yeah. I was not a fan of his mu- music. As a matter of fact, I kind of didn't like it, so I was hesitant to watch it. But it was like it that time when I was I think I downloaded it off Kazaa or something like that. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'll check this out. And I remember being like, I like, I really like parts of this. There's other parts I really don't like. But this guy has some, he has potential chops as a filmmaker. He could, you know, if he keeps doing movies and learning and and trial and error, he could get really good. And that's how I felt about Clive Barker. I was like, and and watching this cut is even more, he's a, he's a good filmmaker. Uh, he's just an inexperienced filmmaker at that point. And a lot of the problems were technical things like, you know, the lighting or the pacing or weird parts where, you, you know, where I could hear the director telling the people what to do in my head because like whenever they made out, although I thought that was funny, that's sort of like what young couples really are. They're like, let's just make out at your workplace here for a little while and then, they do that, and then they do that sloppy like sloppy like you know like the the first time you make out with tongue at like 12 year old just sort of like let's mash our faces to the go Wait, you're not supposed to do that um, um, um. that is called I, the chris you know, hero I, special yeah the hero mm-hmm. special oh yeah uh, I do, hey, <laughs> the ice not, cream I, cone i call it and 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 he was really and like this guy really loved her chin. He was always just like I'm making out with your chin. Uh, you know what? What's funny is that the the scene that's the most intimate with Boone and Lori is right at the end when uh, when she kills herself. Yeah. And and then Boone bites her because you know. And then it it the way it's shot, it's clearly meant to evoke them sitting in the missionary position up on the hill being silhouetted mm-hmm. you know she's laid out on her back prone he's on top of her he's his back is up and all that it's clearly that they're making love in the you know in the in the moonlight like like animals like monsters right so it's it's i mean again it's not subtle but it's really effective because that that's their true intimacy you know that that's when really that 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 they they become one right there right 
is when he he brings her into this greater world that he's become a part of, you know, because that's that she moved heaven and earth to get Boone back and she's not going to lose him. And he recognizes that he recognizes how deep Laurie feels for him. So he's got to bring her into this uh, into his world and make her part of that. So I, I really like that. And, and frankly, the ending of the director's cut alone makes it a better film because the ending of the theatrical cut features instead of, you know, we, we see the, uh, the, the Reverend, uh, gets hit with the stuff in uh, Baphomet's uh, chamber and starts going all, you know, uh, Charlie Brown on us, basically. <laughs> the Linus he had. <laughs> yeah. He's got his, he's got his whoopee and all that. I was going to say but, John uh, Merrick, but. <laughs> well, but so in the theatrical cut, he comes across Decker and resurrects Decker. And apparently Barker said that that this wasn't the ending that he originally wanted, but he was pressured by he felt pressured by the uh, the the test audiences didn't like that Decker died. They wanted Decker to be kind of like a recurring villain, so that's why he resurrected him. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot more sense to have Decker be dead. I mean, so the ending here, just having Decker not coming back alone, improves this movie tremendously, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah the problem so, was, um, but when he, when he resurrects Decker, it changes the overall. I mean. It changes the tone. They're like you're, you're not ending the movie. The like the director's cut ends the movie completely in a different tone than that would have. You're like, okay, yeah. he's brought him back from the dead. Are you okay? What the hell? Like, like you already don't have a ton of information about Decker and in, in, in the theatrical cut anyway. And now all of a sudden he's back from the dead. Okay, like and and there is clearly not going to be a sequel. So now you're like, <laughs> what the hell am I looking at here? Yeah, it's like there better be a comic book. There was, but you know you're like, what's what's going to happen? Like that's that's part of the problem too. And I, and I agree with Luke. The ending where, where de- I mean, as cool as it might be to like resurrect the killer from the dead, it makes far more sense when um you know when when the preacher comes across the um. Oh, the, the the not the not the sheriff. What the hell is he? He's like the deputy, the, the the guy in charge, right? And he just just as if he's he's going to find them. He's off to get them. He doesn't need this. The preacher, you know. So far, far better ending. Well, and also it it makes more sense for the preacher, because yeah. he because initially he's on the side of the police, but then he he's begging them to stop. He's clearly yep. a a a moral character. And none of the humans in this movie are moral, except for Lori. Yeah. None of the police have any morals whatsoever. He does. So when he becomes awakened by Baphomet, you know, okay, I'm, me reading this, watching this story, reading the the story here, yes, he's become awakened to the larger world, and he sees the, the hypocrisy of man, and that's why he's not interested in helping them. He wouldn't resurrect Decker. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No, as the only because, mor- as the only moral character, he's almost there to choose a side. You know, he's chosen the the default side at first of of like siding with basically siding with your race, your you you know the human race, and then as he gets there, you know, you start finding out. Okay, this guy's like really really does have some because wasn't he saying he was struggling with his beliefs or something he was, he was a drunk he was, yeah he was a drunk that's right and, and he uh, said he didn't believe in the devil either and so and then he shows up a, there. as a catholic as, that's kind of weird for me well yeah and then and going and going and meeting someone some a horned figure named baphomet is usually rule of thumb in well any christian religion probably not a good thing <laughs> 
but he's <laughs> right, you know. So between between, but he, but there he is put in between, you know, the cops who are just pure walking, talking, living, breathing human caricatures, and the monsters. You know, he's as as a as a man of God, he's got to make his moral choice of who is. Who is the more moral here, you know, and, and oh, yeah. his choice is pretty clear in, in the movie. So, hey, you know, every time I'm, I'm talking to Shag and I want to make fun of Doctor Who, the phrase that I say is, who are the real monsters here? <laughs> well, this is a movie where you can actually use that phrase and not have it just be a joke. Right, right. Because you know? that's that's the whole theme here is who are the re- it's it's man and monster and which is the real monster you know and and even on on the director's cut there at the beginning of it there's a little interview with Barker where he basically says that it's exactly what you said before Jay that you know the studio wasn't interested I think it was one of you guys said it the studio wasn't interested in monsters as the good guys so they they refused to market the film like that. Well, you know? well, who are the real monsters is pretty much a big fe- ever since. I would have to say maybe even before Night of the Living Dead, but you know that sort of late sixties till oh now. yeah, definitely, definitely the the counterculture and Cold War era produced that concept. You know, and it's been counterculture I mean, it's, reaction. To that it, it hasn't it hasn't really um, lost. You know, it wasn't you know just a, a an an artifact of the times. You know, it's it's no, it's, still, it's become still, still a major used, theme in horror now. Well, it's a major theme in a lot of things. It's, you know, if uh, especially again, we and we talked a lot earlier about the, the homosexuality angle as, as we get to the point where there are more and more groups, whatever type of classification you want to put that uh, had previously been marginalized that now yeah, yeah, are finding yeah. more acceptance. Now, whoever is intolerant to them, they're the monster. Who are the real monsters? Well, it's these intolerant people, you know. And we're we're just trying to live our lives, you know. We're just we're here in Midian, minding our own business, and, and whether wherever to, Midian might be for you. Yeah, and you're coming to destroy us because we exist, basically. Yeah. So no, I mean it, it's almost cliche, really. Yeah. But if you're gonna, but you know, sometimes I don't have a problem with cliche if you do it well. Oh no! You know? Well, the thing about that—the thing about doing cliche, especially in a genre movie—you know—it almost relies on it. And a good, like, and a good cliche, or you know, or the like. I mean, the gay gay subtext now and gay subtext in the '90s are going to be two different things because you know, gay people were just in, in a different standing in society in the '90s. They were better better than in the '80s, but it wasn't it wasn't quite out there, uh, literally out there, I guess. And you know, the like subtext is, is gone. Today. It's now just text. Right, right, yeah. right. And but since it is such a sort of open and cliched or, or open story with cliched elements in it, you can now apply that subtext to yeah, whatever other margin right. uh, any, any marginalized group that you belong to. And so if there's a, you know, major one, you could totally apply it to whatever, whatever turmoil is going on. I mean, you, you don't and it, and it doesn't even need to be something that has any politics to it. Right. You know, I mean, we, right. I'm, I mean, we were talking about before we went on the air, we were talking about high school and stuff. I guarantee every one of us mm-hmm. felt alienated and alone yeah. in high school because that's what you are. You know, it's yeah. like the line from Sky High. If life were to suddenly become fair, I don't think it would happen in high school. Well, that's why <laughs> that's why movies like this are, are catnip to people undergoing puberty. When oh, you yeah. undergo puberty, that's your that's your, you know, especially if you're like white male guy, that's your closest 
you know, closest you're probably going to live to being like where you're in that state of this, like everybody hates me. And, or, you know, it's just that uh, of feeling marginalized whatever, or whatever. whatever. What, I mean, what, it doesn't just... matter. It cuts through whatever, you know, race yeah. or whatever. But puberty just puts you oh, in yeah. that mode of like, oh, yeah. Uh, and what is happening to me? <laughs> that high changing. School, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's but. Yeah. And, and what did we do in high school? Most of us, anyway. The ones that, that are still, you know, uh, healthy, functioning adults. We found Midian. We found the place where we belonged. Yes. Well, and the uh, people our that own were the cabal, other, you we, could say. Yeah, no, we, we became cabal. Because we found our own, the, the freaks and weirdos that were just like us. That felt the same way. And society treated the same way. And we found that we could make our own our own our own society. Right. So again, maybe maybe that's I maybe like that's to think we're a little broad. We were, but, we were advanced. Like by by high school, probably I would probably say all of us were like, even though like Cabal is a good Cabal is a good puberty movie. You know, if you're a teenager, it's got a little sex and making out and all that and stuff for the normal kid. You know, you could show like a room full of high school kids who aren't horror genre fans, you could show them Cabal and they, they'd, they'd be reasonably into it. But, yes. you know, you, you could show a room full of us, <laughs> at, you know, and the next degree, maybe even two degrees over it would be, you know, like <laughs> any Cronenberg movie, <laughs> you know, any, right. any Cronenberg movie that's less pop than The Fly. The Fly was sort of, David Cronenberg's pop horror movie. But you, you know, know but the, even even though that was Cronenberg's pop horror movie, The Fly still asks a lot of questions that kind of demand your attention. Yeah, oh yeah, well it's still a So and and and, and 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 really I, we were we were I mean honestly, if I mean but I and I I understand what what you're getting, but honestly if if this if this director's cut had been the version of Nightbreed we got on video in 1991, yeah, we'd have been asking myself those same questions going into high school, you know. Yeah, but like say if you if 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 instead of Nightbreed you whipped out Videodrome, <laughs> well, yeah. You'd have you'd have like girls leaving the room and guys going what the fuck is this shit dude <laughs> you know whereas yeah whereas, well i mean you'd have you'd have teachers going what the fuck is this shit doing? <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean, like, you're at the party in high school or you're you know you're or i don't know what what sort of you know mind experiment <laughs> stereo i'm describing <laughs> that got all the high school students together to watch horror movies <laughs> <laughs> That's like my kind of class, right? Yeah, the only time where I remember at a party somebody whipping out a video and throwing it in the VCR, it was um, I'm trying to think of the specific name of it, but it was porn. Deep Throat was it back Backdoor Slots Nine? No, no, no wait, wait, it's the hottest wait, video ever. Then, but yeah. it was Deep Throat oh, era. Oh, it was on, it was a was it was it, was it, was it uh, the, the Devil and Mrs. Jones? It was Private School Girls, is what okay. it's called. <laughs> oh, it was like because the big four back then were Deep Throat, Debbie Does Dallas, Behind the Green Door, uh, the Devil. And the devil and Mrs. Jones and behind the green door. That's what you, those are the, those said, are the would, big would the ones. Fifth, I say, would the fifth one be Taboo or um, the opening of Misty Beethoven, perhaps? I saw Taboo in high school. Well, Taboo, uh, Taboo is just a classic. Or the Candy Stripers is another one. The Candy Stripers I saw in high school, too, because 
Well, we had a video store, and it was so it was so like weird and wholesome at the same time. It was <laughs> like it, it was store. you had to drive out. Yes, I think you've you had to drive into this. the out in the country, literally pulling. This, it was it, it was in the basement of these people's house house. Creepy. And yet you, you pulled into their driveway and rang the back doorbell and you know mom would probably be like making dinner or whatever or and the daughter would be and Scott Gardner later dated the daughter and the daughter would be like or the mom would be manning the video place and you'd go in and into their basement and they had shelves of videos and you'd rent videos and they had a drop-off slot but when mom was there my friend todd riley who was just not shy about porn he would walk into the like bookstores and stuff and pull a playboy off the shelf just start flipping through and go "Woo, this looks like a good one I, I will take this my good sir you know so he would always be like hey do you have any adult movies and she'd be like well yes we do and he's like do, do you mind if we peruse them and she'd be like no not at all and bloom put up a big loose leaf book and we'd flip through and he'd be like i'll take this one and this and he was the only one brazen enough to do it so we were at his whim <laughs> and he liked to pick you know he was like oh taboo a mother has sex with her son we'll get this one this oh Parker. ram rambone that's funny <laughs> okay well, okay I'll, I'll be honest with you. so he movies. went by title and like right. as bizarre as he could find we saw new age hookers that way though i'm saying so, but those type of movies though like what we Again, I know we're getting a little off the track here, but yeah. when you look at those type of porn, we I'm always I'm being... need to go off track on porn, though. You notice that? Yeah, but I'm, I'm just saying, though, but this is true. You look That's at some, it's my kind of like track. That. Yeah, when you see, look at those type of things. Those were movies that had story, and they were going like they they had they had sex in them, okay? But it's not like like Luke said here, like Backdoor Sluts Nine. Like that the whole point was. We, we, if you were watching uh, Deep Throat, or you, which was supposed to be like the the the, the dirtiest movie ever at the, the time and whatever, those movies had a story and they had things happening and whatever. And the whole point was, it wasn't just like, all right, let's just get some girl and th this guy, and then get this other guy, and then this other guy, and they're gonna just gonna dump all that all on her. And we're good. And you know, it's it's they had a there was a story to it, and 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 well that that that's the well that's the bit well, from uh, Boogie Nights. from Boogie Nights. He goes, we got to keep them there after they shoot off the first time. Yes, and well, we do from... that by giving them a good story. Right. Well, so... Deep Throat, Deep Throat was actually really popular for not being the dirtiest thing ever. Well, but, that, but that was the whole. That but was it was something. It was well, it was it was one of the first ones that they were like, let's put a story into this. But let's put a light, funny comedy story with a comedy premise that her clitoris is in the back of her throat. It's, and... Wait, it's not supposed to be that? <laughs> anyway, it was, and, 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 it, and it was like one of the first porn movies that like regular mom and pop theater would, and theater chains would be like, hey, let's try this out and see what happened. And, and mom and pop would be like, hee hee hee, let's get a little frisky and go to see a porno. And it became a thing of like, it was very similar to Showgirls, you know, where we're more vanilla-y, you know, mainstream people could go like, ooh, let's get our wild side on, but not too wild, you know. And it, uh, and, and it sort of, know is, it is unleashed weird. like taking them, that the, the, they were, for a while they were like, maybe we can make these mainstream movies no except except with sex and then some of them were like 
maybe we can even make these serious movies like with serious sexual themes in them and stuff and it just it didn't work it didn't work out maybe it'll happen again someday no 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 no, no. no. people have figured no. out that porn is for one thing and that's yeah. not a well, good story and the and the internet is for porn and yeah. the internet's r- it all oh, comes yes. back to sean angle all comes back to sean angle so. <laughs> yeah and plus what the do you call that is for green lantern podcast yeah <laughs> and plus you know the movies nowadays they don't got no you know they don't know john holmes in there man so you know so to be like, fair see, those parodies that they do nowadays are amazing well, they're well do- they're well done but they're yeah. not engaging it they're, they're fun to be like okay what are they gonna do with this but the fat fast I end up fast forwarding through all the sex. Exactly. That's why they're amazing. Because yeah. the sex is because the sex is just pure by the books, you know, generic. Oh, and, I can. You could put on any scene, and I can go. You could tell me what minute mark to go to, and I can tell you exactly what position they're going to be what's in. What's going on yeah. in it? Yeah. So it's the, yeah, the hero. The, hero's done the research on this clearly. I well, have put has, my well, my soul over. on the line. Well, it's he has, funny he because charts. he should be. He has, making... he has like uh, Excel spreadsheets. He's got like, wait, I can reference this. It's like the Kane Hackman theory. Uh, he's <laughs> like, wait, I got it. No, hang on. You know, this is there, just this that, is the blowjob missionary theory. This is a it. complex algorithm that I have put together through years of testing. But the set, yeah. <laughs> like, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a natural. It's it's a natural reflex. You're like an artist, hero. You just you just feel it flowing through you. He, I am the Jackson Pollock of my era. Like other people worked in oils. So. Yeah. <laughs> if I can power, if I can paraphrase uh, from a Christmas story, he worked in profanities like others worked in oils. But in this case, hero works in in pornography as pornography. a pornography. <laughs> if well, I actually you know, worked uh, in that business, I wouldn't be here right now. So he works at pornography uh, like it was his job. If only. Like so. like Hank Hill in that one episode of King of the Hill. Oh my god, that's a great episode. <laughs> I watched all the porno <laughs> to solve the mystery. <laughs> that one is amazing. So how did we get on this? I'm not really sure. Oh, we're all but, the, uh, well, it's Cronenberg, dude. Cronenberg and Barker and all Cronenberg them. Cronenberg and they, Barker. It's all it's all about dude, sex and violence, but think about right? It, when you go back and listen to those of you if you have, if you have not listened to our Videodrome podcast, go back and listen to that when you're done with this one. All right. Uh, because if you want to hear talk about this kind of, I mean, we definitely yeah. hit that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think that's the problem. When we, when we looked at, you know, the movies we were going to do for the, the freak's choice, right? I don't think we could get a more different cross section. Yeah. Right. Cause we're talking about movies. I mean, here tonight we're talking about Nightbreed, which, and, and a director's cut of Nightbreed and a movie that was kind of not well received when it first came out. And this is much better. And even if you don't love it or whatever, it's just all different things. We're talking about like Monster Squad for Christ's sake. I mean, that's a it's basically a kids movie, but it's 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 again it holds its holds up for whatever it is. Uh, you look at uh, what was it? Um, oh crap, Martin. Uh, Martin, Martin, right? Which again, you know, is very different kind of film. Then we're talking about obviously Videodrome, okay, and the then burning. the burning. I I mean I don't think I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm sh- I'm sure I can come up with five movies. You know, if I had time, but they took. You all we said was come up with a movie. You all get to pick a movie, and that's what we picked, right? And like, well, Martin was one I was waiting for just such an opportunity like that. I'm thinking almost everybody was was sort of like, 
at least if they didn't have one movie ready right off the top of their head, they had at least three or four that they could think about. You know what I mean? Well, well as soon I, as you guys said that, you said pick a movie. I said, have we done Monster Squad? Like it wasn't even like a thought, like Monster Squad. Right. That's right. like one of my favorite movies. Right. And then Chris, you picked the birding. Well, it's like, like yeah, I was riding the wave from doing the 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 Friday the Thirteenth coverage. Yeah. And it's like I yeah, do I want to cover the Evil Dead movies and the Friday movies? Of course I do. But it's right. like. Who the hell's ever gonna pick the burning? But then there's all yeah. But the exactly. burning's just a great. I love the burning. It's it's, it's right. as, as a slasher movie that's that was lost for so long. But like a movie like Videodrome, Videodrome was on uh, one of the one of the uh, you know like like HBO or Showtime it was on the other day, and I'm and it was one of the nights where I'm sitting down here with Kelly and I go, ooh, Videodrome. She goes, don't put that on. <laughs> <laughs> now ooh, the problem Videodrome. was. Yeah, I, and I, I the, just love it. The problem was with video drone is she, put, she goes, I don't want to watch this because a few nights earlier, they, they must have been showing Cronenberg movies. They had the fly on. Oh, yeah. She goes, what's this? I go, just shut up and watch it. And she goes, what is this? <laughs> because we're already past all the stuff where he becomes the fly. It's right after he breaks the guy's wrist in the bar. Yeah. And now he's just like vomiting. She's like, this is disgusting. When he pulls his fingernails off when yeah. he's biting on him. She's like, what are we watching? Now, <laughs> my wife tolerates a lot of crap sometimes. Um, but those, I'm watching this going, oh, it's awesome. And she's like, what are we watching? So she knew when I was like, ooh. And then she hears the ooh come out. Let's see this. <laughs> Run it's away. It's not usually good. Because right, they yeah. don't show a lot of Jenna Jameson movies on, on Cinemax and stuff. I'm like, ooh. And we're, and we're, and we're, back, we're back to pornography. Well, but I'm saying, but what other Now it's software. Yeah, no, but well, Flashpoint has a hardcore version, but they're going to show that. I've seen it. But, well, yeah. What I'm saying is, I was going to say was, Jay owns it. I'm pretty sure. So uh, yeah, I probably do. <laughs> it's research. Um, so sure. the whole point is, the whole point is, when you you know you, these, she's like, what are we watching here? I guarantee you, I could not. I was not going to be able to say if I said, oh, Nightbreed's on. She's not going to want to watch this <laughs> because she'll be like, oh, okay. There's going to be monsters. There's going to be killing. If it, but it's not going to be like the the fly or uh, uh, video drone or things like that. She actually might take a chance with this one. If one it was of called things... Journey to Midian, would that uh, would that? No, no, it has nothing chances? to do with that. No, no, because names don't matter to her because she doesn't remember. She, she just did... knows you like it. Put it this way: <laughs> the, the movie Joy that's out right now, so for the Academy Award. She said, "Man, I really want to see that." It was all okay. right. No, no, but I think I got a copy of Joy. She's like, "What movie's this?" I go, "The movie you asked for." <laughs> like, what do you? What? I don't know. It ain't the movie I want to watch. So, um, but the key is that. <laughs> Uh, what I was getting at is this: one of the things that, uh, for those of us who remember or will rewatch the theatrical cut, the violence at the end is definitely turned up. They put a lot of that stuff back in. Now, remember, it the theatrical cut runs an, an hour forty, and this runs two hours, so it's only twenty minutes difference runtime. But there are forty forty minutes of additional or uh, altered scenes in the movie. So the director's cut is 40 different minutes of film for a 20-minute longer runtime. A lot of that stuff uh, that was little pieces put in, there's, of course, her singing the the the, uh, the, the song in the uh, the club, oh, right? That was, that was, well, it is. It's horrible, but it, but, it, but it actually sets up what the hell she's doing. So, uh, but, the, but the scenes at the end, like the, some of the deaths and stuff, they're longer. There's more in there. When, when, when Barker was tasked with making an R-rated movie, they said this can't be as bloody and violent as Hellraiser 
but we want this movie. Hellraiser's budget was $2 million. This movie's budget was $11 million. And they said, look, you can't make it as bloody. You can't make it as gory. You can't do this. And what happened? He did, and they cut it, cut, 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 cut. And that's part of the reason the cuts happened. Whether Barker, uh, you know, again, his first time, he, the first test audience didn't like the ending. They liked, they want Decker to come back, like Luke was saying. That's all right on point with what uh, was put out there. He's always said that. But he also knew that he made the movie knowing they were going to cut it back. But they definitely did not want another Hellraiser level of violence and gore and blood on the screen. Because they were hoping to, again, an R-rated movie, but let's make sure we can market this the right way. Yeah, the so. the violence in this was more just like, I I don't know how to describe it, I guess standard violence, where in yeah. Hellraiser had that just S&M yeah. tint to yeah. it, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, not even a tint, it was just, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean there was not I mean there was nothing like that outside of like underground films with that as subtext or elements in the story. So it was pretty pretty radical. So I mean the violence in this is just simple like gunshot wounds and ripping off there's a beheading at one point. Biting. Yeah, biting, stabbing, scratching, tearing, biting. rending. I mean, even even when uh spindling, mutilating. Even even when when so all the porcupine quills go into them and Stuff. There's nothing there that you're like, oh my god, that's so. I can't. I can't yeah. believe they showed this. It, it's effective. It makes sense. But it's not like you're not. You're not talking about. Uh, you know. Um, you know, trying to lure someone back so you can rip the skin off of them, and the you know, as the walls bleeding, you all come out of it, kind of thing. It's a very <laughs> or, different. Right. Or like we're kind of to... thumbnailed it there for you guys. Okay. Sorry. Or as we, or as we call it here, Tuesday. Mm. <laughs> Taco Tuesday. <laughs> You know, like Return of the Living Dead, it didn't have, like, Return of the Living Dead was, like, over-the-top gore. Sure. And this was just, like, uh, you know, they were like, we're going for the gore. This one was, oh, people are getting killed in the story, so, you know, we we have to do it. But it, it definitely didn't feel like they were going, like, all right, we have to have a certain amount of gore and blood in this movie, even though it was pretty bloody in, mm -hmm. in this form. Yeah. Well, one last <laughs> thing I'll throw this in because this is because Honeywell would probably wish this. Um, the song Skin, which was originally done by Ongo Boingo uh, from the album Dark at the End of the Tunnel, uh, is playing on the radio, but it's not their version in the scene where Decker kills the woman he, pick up, he picks up. Uh -huh. That's the song on the radio. Yep. It's, it, it, that, that is actually known as Country Skin and was exclusive to the cassette and CD versions of the soundtrack. Ooh. So if I take, again, pick up my compact cassette here, it is the last track on the album, Country Skin. Now, when you say compact cassette, is it like a little tiny cassette, or is that... No, oh. no, I, I say compact cassette. That's actually audio cassette as we know it. It's okay. official name, compact cassette. Okay. But yeah, well, I've, got it on, I've got it on tape here. I've got it on cassette. Listen, nerds, we're going to go the right terms here, okay? <laughs> Analog. Yeah. Um, it's Fossil Radio, classic rock from ABBA to Zeppelin, comma lead. But uh, <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> that was awesome. I, 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 missed, I missed vinyl culture. I'm all about tape culture, man. That's what I've got. Tapes, I, I think tapes and VHS are going to have a little resurgence in the near future. My prediction. Whether it's out of just curiosity or hipsterness or whatever. Oh, it's well, coming. Not, I mean, not as much. The horror, going for the horror guys, VHS is already a thing. Right. You know? Yes. 
It sure so I, I could I could see that with tape because there is certain things with with cassette that that you know you lose when you do this. You know, the, yes. uh, I, I think the the J sleeve offered a lot of uh, opportunity to do stuff like that that you don't get with something flat like a a CD or a vinyl. But but now we're we're getting pretty far off topic. Here. Yeah. So I, I have, let's let's real this. Anyone? I want yeah, to let's, I'll cut it back to Jay for his throwing. Okay, so uh, the in in the in the um, theatrical cut, the the last the last scene of the film where where Decker is uh, is resurrected, the priest actually sticks his hand into his stomach to resurrect him in a tribute. It looks like we're at a video drum of Cronin, where he puts it into his stomach right there as he puts it in. Again, not in the director's cut, in the theatrical cut. He puts it in to revive him, and that's when he comes back alive, which I thought always was like, oh, that's like video drum. Yep, that's what it looks like. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, I didn't, and we didn't even plan this to have video drum and Nightbreed line up so well, but I know. Yeah, here we are, so... Well, but you know the thing is though, and and uh, I mean th- this is part of the, the, the we when we talked about video drone, we talked a lot about the body horror and like you know all the different things that go along with it because that movie is truly I mean just just a very different piece of uh, film you know and once they took Nightbreed and made it back to really what it is and I mean I I agree with Chris is that I think the two hour version is probably the best version we're ever going to get is probably the tightest story we're going to get. And the most is going to be there, and it's probably the closest to the book we're ever going to see. That's why this movie now becomes something we can discuss. It's not, a, I mean, Nightbreed's a movie, been a movie we saw when we were younger, and it stayed with me. It's not like, I mean, it wasn't like I was, I raced out to see it all the time, but it wasn't like a movie like, oh yeah, I saw this. I remembered the movie, okay? And it's one of those things that, you know, it kind of stays with you. And now we're putting able to put more into it and putting the pieces that are in place. You can kind of start seeing how those things line up. But I think also a lot of that tribute was paid too because Clive Barker was truly a fan of David Cronenberg. And Barker himself, uh, you know, has, has said, yes, Cronenberg's one of the a very important person to me. He's helped me so much grow as not just, you know, as, as, an, as an author and as, as a director, but even in his art, you, if, if you ever look, if you ever want to see some crazy stuff, look up Barker's artwork. It made the cover of Rue Morgue back in the day, did a whole guard climb and stuff. His artwork is disturbing. Cronenberg has done some disturbing art, too. So is David Lynch. <laughs> that's what I'm saying is that and that's where it comes into Barker's stuff. And you're like, this is very weird. But you look at it, you're like, oh, it seems very simple at first. But you look deeper and it's not simple. Cronenberg's art is out there. Lynch's art's out there. These are guys who are pushing that envelope. They aren't making a safe little film for you to watch and be like, oh, it was good. Now let's go next thing. They want you to talk about their films. They want you to not get their films. I'm I'm trying to think of a Cron I can't think of a Cronenberg movie I've seen that I haven't that, that just was like, eh, whatever, and I blow it off. I don't think right. there is one. Clive Barker has not made a lot of didn't make a lot of films, but I'll be damned if you watch Hellraiser and you don't remember it. And now if you're watching Nightbreed, the, the this this version of Nightbreed, it's gonna stay with you. There's gonna be questions. There's gonna be something you're gonna take away from it. It's not a it's not easily put it in, digest it, I don't care. Right? A lot of the disposable cinema we have now is like that. Too many movies, and it goes, it's not just horror, it could be anything. You're like, all right, that was fine. I, you know, that was 90 minutes. Okay. <laughs> You know, 
It was like uh, when 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 you are discussing a movie, you know, after you see something with like, let's say you sat and watched something because Luke and I and our friend John used to sit. We used to watch all kinds of movies when you knew knew the movie was good. When we were talking about it after the movie was over and we were talking about it next time we got together and you still talk about it. That to me is the sign of what a movie is doing something more than just start 90 minutes. Stop. And that disposable cinema, I think, is, is too accepted nowadays. And I think people try to accept, try to like, like, well, I want something just to go in and be safe. Well, turn I'll my brain you. off is the code yeah. for that now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm saying is, I mean, and it could be anything, horror movies, whatever. You don't, you name it. That's why when you see movies that challenge something, and it doesn't, and I'm not saying that Nightbreed is challenging, like my way I look at life and stuff. But it's a movie that you take something out of. It's it's all that underlying theory. Now, we really, we've always said this. Things that are cliche sometimes had to start somewhere, right? This movie clearly speaks to that, clearly speaks to uh, the other, whatever whatever the other might be, that they're the monster out there, okay? That's not what I am. I, they must be the monster. Well, you're rooting for the monsters in this, quote, unquote, the ones that look like monsters. Why? Because there's not a human in this movie that you're like, except for, uh, except for, um, oh crap, Lori. I forgot her name, Lori. She's the only one who has nothing. Who's, who's, she's not doing anything but trust trying to get Boone back. That's it. Everyone else. All right, you know. So, and maybe the guy watching the Flames game. I, I really didn't think he. There's a few there. random strangers. Yeah. Who's no, I'm like they I'm, could be nice guys, but right, yeah, you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Like, oh, I don't, yeah. I mean, I don't think the kid needed to get off, but they didn't show that, so it's okay. Yeah, but at least they went there. Yeah, yeah. dude, and you know that's the thing is that's in the that's in the original cut too. They imply that he kills the kid. You know, nowadays they would have to they would have to imply that, but then at some point you'd see the kid run in the background. Oh, he's safe. He's over there. There's only one moment of sort of implausibility in that, and that's when the SWAT team comes to the hospital. I think it is. And okay. and Laurie's able to just sort of like walk out and walk away while this whole SWAT raid's going on. <laughs> no, nobody's to, locking down anything. Believe, you're learning to believe in Midian and all the de- the monsters there, but not that she's that stealth. Maybe that's her power. <laughs> she can just be so. Yeah. Grease lightning. Oh Jesus! Let's not go there. <laughs> it also speaks, I think, it speaks to the relative incompetence of the police as well. well Canadian yeah. police. Canadian police. Oh, eh? Yeah. Like, now, hey, see, there you go. They should have brought in the fucking Mounties because they all always get their man. Well, she was also doing the suspicious walkout where she kept looking behind her and looking all around, and which I guess um, you would do when the SWAT team was coming in, but usually I thought you would just lay down on the ground when the SWAT team comes in. That's called acting. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and he can't be like, oh, I don't got nothing to do with this. Can I go? Yeah, you can go. Okay. All right, yeah, there you. wasn't even that much interaction. She just, she just said, oh, the oh, SWAT team's raiding the hospital. I'm leaving now. And like, and they're like running by her, you, you know, just sort of. I got to get going, you hosers. I'll see you. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you, so you, you were with the small guy, eh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, right. the small feller. Yeah. He was kind of funny looking. Yeah. So just real quick, last thing I got here, um, Lind- Lindbergh's voice was redubbed by, uh, uh, I don't have the name, it just says an anonymous German actor for the correct <laughs> accent uh, over Doug Doug Bradley's voice, which really didn't sit well with Doug Bradley. Um, in the, in that's, that's in the theatrical. 
they had Doug Bradley redo his lines again and redub it for the director's cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you gotta love there. dubbing over yourself. It was <laughs> smoothly done because I didn't. It didn't. Yeah, I couldn't tell. I didn't no, uh, notice any yeah. sort of post. You know, which often happens with stuff like that, especially since how many years have passed since a long time. <laughs> yeah, since he did that last. So that was done very well. My only question is now. Bach has only done uh, like four features. Uh, I want him to get off his ass and do whatever it takes to do a wildly fantastic version of The Thief of Always because that was my first exposure to him in high school. And it's a, it's an all-ages book, but my God, is it awesome. It's coming out, I thought. Uh, it's still in development hell. Is it? I, I had heard that. I, I don't know if he was necessarily involved beyond just you know the being the author or maybe the, the screenplay, but I thought that was... That was one of the ones that said that that was a movie. It's not. It's twenty. They said it's shooting for twenty seventeen. I, uh, they still shoot. I hope so. Outstanding. I hope That's so. That's an outstanding book. Yeah, it's it's great. Everybody should read it. If you're not into well, the it, blood and guts, read the Thief of Always. Well, there's also a graphic novel of it too. Um, that Ooh. my uh, that my buddy Damien had given me because he had known I like I loved the book and he found the graphic novel, which is really good too. It's the entire story. Oh, but okay. it's just it's 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 just interesting. I mean, I've I, I he found it. I have no idea. I'm sure. Um, if I have available on Amazon, you would use the link and go there to purchase. Um, mm-hmm. But as just as, as I have done for every purchase so far. I've done for a lot of purchases, man. I can well, always tell, like, I can always see you and your dad in action on the Amazon site. That a lot of me. Goes well, and fits and bursts. But, yeah, it's just like, oh, and, and, like, I always post the cool stuff. And, like, you guys always have, the, especially for me, you know, since I'm doing the picking, I'm just like, oh. Yeah, well, that's what I I I said I, I said all the time, and those of you who are uh, who visit our Facebook page will see sometimes the stuff that's posted of what people are purchasing and stuff there. And there was that one time when you posted ten things in a row, and all ten of them were mine. It was all yours. <laughs> because the first thing you posted on there was the Godzilla, the or the the sorry, you can't say Godzilla because it's not Godzilla, the giant lizard type creature eating the gnomes. Yes, yes. And I was like, that's mine. And then the <laughs> next, I was like, well, that's mine. Oh, that's mine. And that's mine. Funny part was when we had the, the He-Man collected, both Hero and I had ordered that. <laughs> so the He-Man? Which over, one was that one? Didn't you order the He-Man collected? No. The He-Man comics? No, the that was not me. That wasn't you? No. I, I, unfortunately, I bought sad, boring stuff for, for school oh, and stuff. On. I was going to say, you I don't... You want to know what what stuff of mine makes that list? Oh, look, somebody bought cat medicine again. <laughs> oh, it's the same thing. I send my every time my parents order something through. through I was just going like... to say, we get our fair share of granola, uh, soup, and uh, toiletries, and razors. Yeah. Window and... blinds, <laughs> coffee filters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kelly and I had a discussion before. I said, I said, well, he said, you know, I said, uh, you know, because we were talking about something. We ordered a uh, Kindle for her. I said, you they sell everything on here, Al. She's like, what do you mean? I go, look. And he, I just put in dildo. And uh, I was like, oh, we're, and we're back he, on pornography again. But I said, I said, homemade. She goes, are you kidding me? And they have all kinds of things. I go, I said, I actually might. I was like, I'm looking to order. That would be really funny because I just want to. I said, I want to have Chris have to post that. Someone ordered a five and a half foot back dildo with a. You've not heard. You've never heard the dildo story. Oh, no, no, I have. But I'm saying is, I just want that to be funny. I'm like, who ordered this? <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, it will, it will get it will get post. I mean, I think the post of the the first dildo was somebody's having somebody's. You know, I think it was on a Friday. They too, and I'm like, ah, oh, the weekend's <laughs> coming. You know, somebody's <laughs> having a hell of a weekend. Yeah, but they won't get it. Even the prime shipping's not gonna get it there fast enough. You have to get more. No. no. Well, actually, by the, by the time, I, oh no, no, actually, you're right. We see it when they when they order it. But at the same time, it was when our listeners maybe had not um, don't didn't fully understand like yeah. that we saw we see what they buy. I don't know who <laughs> buys it. I have no idea. I mean, I can figure out some stuff, but the dildo, I had um, you know no there was no saying nope. who ordered it. But I will say to Hero, I called it, didn't I? Oh yeah, you called it. <laughs> but it, it like. When we put it up, I think the people who bought it assumed that we knew it was them, and Stop. were sort of like, "Yeah, yeah, that, that was us. us. Yeah, that was us." And it was like, "Oh, you're fools!" <laughs> now everybody knows. Except I already knew. I know dirty, <laughs> you dirty, knew. Dirty, dirty, dirty. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, no, your listeners. Anything else related so what, to uh, Nightbreed I, or Cabal? Well, you know, I would, I would like to say, if the listeners out there, if we still have any at this point, <laughs> are are interested in communicating with us about Nightbreed or any of the movies we've covered, I want to say they can email us at freakvault at gmail.com. All one word, freakvault at gmail.com. We do have some emails in the email sack. Let's get to them. Let's empty there. that sack. Let's empty the sack. We can do that. Let me get the email. Yeah, let's yeah, let's up the sack. Yeah, because you know, because we haven't run long enough. Yeah. Um, a full sack our, is never our good. First, our first email. Hey, come on! Uh, I just did a five-hour podcast a, a month ago, so the, whatever this runs, it ain't gonna. <laughs> I'm I'm too battered from that to. You have battered podcaster syndrome. Starling Monster Horror Tales. Tara, I can do that with one hand tied behind my back. Yep. So uh, our first email comes from our good friend, Mr. Gene Hendricks, purveyor of the Hammer Podcasts and Quantum Cast and Anime Freaks and And the Hammer Strikes blog. And uh, he writes, uh, is simply titled Monster Squad. And Gene writes, Sean, Luke, Jason, Chris, and Chris. Thanks for covering the Monster Squad. I can't say it was one of my favorite movies as a kid, but I did love it. It's one that I discovered on HBO and, like Luke and Jason, I wanted to know kids like that. Most of my friends were into all the other stuff I was, but not so much the monsters for whatever reason. Heck, this movie had such an impact on me that I drew up business cards on some notebook paper and begged my mom to make copies at work. Nice. I wish I still had some of those. Just so I could prove how geeky I was as a kid. Wait, no, actually, I don't. Gene, you don't have to. No, you don't have to prove nothing. <laughs> think, think, yeah, I think, um, yeah, we spent some, we've spent some in-person time with you. Yeah, it's too late, yeah. man. We, yeah, we know, we know. Gene and I actually just came out, uh, um, peek behind the curtain, just came out earlier this week. As we record this, Gene and I just did an episode of the Hammer podcast about the film, uh, the John Borman film Excalibur. One it is in my queue. I cannot wait to listen to it. I might have to watch the movie. I haven't seen the movie in like a decade, so I might have to watch the movie, then, yeah. then listen to the podcast and have a little thing with it. Because, yeah, I love that movie. I mean, it was it was a blast to record it. I, I've listened to a little bit at the beginning. I haven't listened to the whole thing yet, but... Uh, 
But Gene continues, I've heard tell that the next episode covers Nosferatu, which we had on VHS when I was a kid. Are you going to talk about Shadow of the Vampire along with it, or is that another show? Signed, Gene. And I think we, we kind of outfoxed ourselves here because we t- said we were talking about vampires, but weren't really clear that we meant Martin. Well, so. you know what? Maybe when we were talking about Martin... No, because we haven't been saying what the show, what each one was be right. before ahead of time. Because I was thinking we might have been like a next time Martin and one of us might have gone like Nosferatu and it just well, stuck I think in one his... of us said Nosferatu. And then I said she's it. Italian. Yeah. Ah. yeah. So, so that might have just so stuck Gene, in his Gene head. Gene misunderstood what we, we meant there. I would but have no okay. problem we can, we can, with us yeah, manning up and doing a Dracula, you know, retro, well, a couple of Drac flicks. If we were going to do Nosferatu, I would be really into... I've never seen either Nosferatu. The orig- I've seen oh, uh, oh, parts of the, the original. Oh, the Kinski one? Or the Kinski one. Oh, man, or that's a great... Shadow of the Vampire. That's I a, that either. That's a, that oh, would be a good two or three-pack episode, well, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, what do you call it? Yeah, the, the Klaus Kinski one is, is, uh, is a very different movie. There's a lot of things coming out at that time. But if you watch the original... Um, they actually have one with uh, oh, who's is it typo negative? I'm trying to remember who's the soundtrack. Yeah, it's, it's the rich. It's like it's like a heavy metal soundtrack over the whole thing instead of the wonky music that was in there because a lot of those are public domain kind of stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Another so another little mini like series I thought we might want to do someday would be that would be fun would be the Exorcist movies. Yes, yes, because the yes. last the the Exorcist prequel movie there's like two, two different two different two yeah. not even yep. two different cuts there's like. Well, they, it, it was, was filmed with two different people. Twice. Two directors yeah. filmed it. That, and the parts and that would are be really yeah. interesting. And then yeah. you have The Exorcist to The Heretic. It would be a really fun... I'll, I'll suffer through that one again, but I love Exorcist 3. Yeah, yep. All right, so Gene, thank you very much for writing in. As I said, guys, uh, uh, Gene is a purveyor of the Hammer Strikes and the Hammer Podcast, Quantum Cast, Anime Freaks, as well as um, Comic Book Fight Club. And, and uh, we have one. Andy's got a new one coming out with me. And he a new runs... one coming called the Bad Advice Show. Yeah. <laughs> I, Get ready. I know. I got added to their Facebook group. I have no idea what it was like, but I was. Uh, I saw uh, Jeff Fishman. Jeff Fishman was associated with it, so I'm like, let me all put right, it. I don't know what this is about. Let me put it this I'm way. <laughs> all of you gentlemen will most likely be on the show because you'd all be perfect fits for it. I, I don't. I don't even know what it's about, but it's about I will war. tell you <laughs> off the air. Ah, excellent. Well, we want to thank uh, thank Gene for writing in. We have another one more email in our sack here. This is comes from uh, Todd Wilson and hey, is Todd. titled "Much Appreciation." And Todd writes, "Chris Keeper and Du Bois." Ooh, I'm a Du Bois. Du Bois. Thank you so much for doing a show focusing on the brilliance that is the Monster Squad. I didn't see the movie when it came out back in 87. My folks didn't think a group of smart-mouth kids fighting monsters would be a good influence on me. For Imagine sure. my amazement Silly. as I finally saw it via VHS. Classic monsters and a group of kids in an awesome clubhouse with an Inhumanoids action figure to boot. Yeah. Something else I didn't have as a kid. <laughs> now, we had one. We had Metlar. I did. But I got 10 Drill as a gift, and then I decomposed later. So I have all three Inhuman, Inhumanoids now. And and for years, 10 Drill would stand in Mom's uh, Christmas display wearing a Santa hat. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Yep. And she claims she knew. She didn't know. Yeah. No. She had no clue. But anyway... <laughs> 
Getting back to Todd's email, Todd continues, um, I'm rambling. Anyway, just wanted to let you guys know how much I appreciate the show. I'm catching up on older episodes and can't wait for the next one. Take care and God bless Todd D. Wilson. Todd, thank you very thank much you, for Todd. writing in. Yeah. I love that you're catching up on the older shows. Please write in about the older shows because we didn't, Signore DiManzo wouldn't give us an email address. So yep. we never got feedback on those older shows. So please send us yes, feedback we, on the older shows. We, we can will, talk about it. We will happily discuss wanna, that. I just want to throw this in there. Todd, when you hear this, you're not rambling. We ramble. We ramble. <laughs> that was really nice. You that was what we call insane. concise. Yes. yes. Concise. That, well, the problem was, was is that we had a tendency to go on tangents, and then we brought my brother on. <laughs> hey, it's all good. And the and the floodgates have opened. It wouldn't well, be a TTF see, production you know, without that. I mean, though. if you take, I mean, we're scattered all around, but if you, I, I think if you sort of mixed us all together, you would end up with like if they took where all we're from and where we've been and our attitudes I, and had to assign us a state this is getting really weird what it would be new jersey probably <laughs> the body hair alone right yeah. uh, between all of us if you want to place us somewhere where we belonged it would be new jersey and uh and you know in new jersey if you got a bonfire and the bonfire is really big you got to find that guy who's gonna go there and drink grain alcohol and spit the grain alcohol on the fire that would be me i I was going to say that'd be jason you're already here jason jay doesn't drink i do right right but i'm i'm talking metaphorically oh the metaphorical (laughs) jason you're metaphorical grain alcohol You guys keep that. Just push this out. <laughs> Throw that in the fire, see, too. You know, see, that's the like, that's as like intoxicating that. as, as, as hoot, yeah. like hooch from the hills of New Jersey. <laughs> see, that's right up there with that Miller Lite commercial where the girl is at the liquor store looking to buy Chardonnay. And the guy's like, yes. you're the girl that would bring Miller Lite to a Chardonnay party. It's like bullshit because if she was really as hardcore as this guy puts her out to be, She'd bring a bottle of Old English 800 to a Chardonnay party. Well, you know those, you know those beer ads where the guys open up, bring the beer back, and they start opening up the beer, and a party, you know, yeah, magic, dude, magically manifests in their house and beautiful women. Well, if you were drinking like grain alcohol, you'd crack it open, and then like we'd show up, be like, <laughs> "Hey, we got some horror movies." <laughs> yeah, you got any nachos? <laughs> Start farting in people's couches and shit. Yeah. Oh, I'm a fantastic Dr. couch father. <laughs> like, Dr. Bill's coming over later. Put this Mountain Dew in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> There's a dent in the yard where the Mountain Dew sits. Uh, that's my Mountain Dew hole. <laughs> I got a well. Don't the Dr. Bill like that. You're not here to defend yourself, Bill. I'm not making fun. I, I, love get, I can't wait to be in a spirited conversation where I call him a do hole. Hey, shut your do hole. <laughs> shut your do hole, yes. <laughs> Oh, no. That's getting said in Long Island that this year. That to be if he ever has a solo podcast that has... Shut your do Oh, my God. Should we get it? Does anybody know a silkscreen? We got to get him a t-shirt. That <laughs> says Todd. shut your do-hole on it in chartreuse lettering. And that, Todd, is rambling. 
right. So wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are we going to tell them what we're covering next time, or are we just going to surprise them? Yeah, no, it would be actually telling them what that would be a really good idea for ending the show, Luke. That's brilliant. So next time. <laughs> On the vault of startling monster horror tales of terror. I almost said next time an Earth Destruction directive there. That's how late it is That's right, all right now. My last cup of coffee was about, unfortunately, three hours ago, and I do love my coffee. But uh, next time on an all-new episode of the vault of startling monster horror tales of terror, what are we taking a look at when well, we are going back, back to hallowed antiquity, all the way back to the story time known as the 70s. And we're going back to the comics pages. We take a look mm -hmm. at Marvel's Tomb of Dracula, number two. We're taking a look at the colon, baby. We're going to be inspecting that colon. Inside and out. Yep. Mm -hmm. As the kids would call it, T-O-D, too. <laughs> yeah, all the kids are hep to Tomb of Dracula. Oh, yeah. The <laughs> cool no, ones they, are. They abbreviate everything, dude. Oh. You should Googs that. That's an abbreviate. Yeah. Hashtag yeah. that shit. T-O-D-F-T-W. For the I'll, win. I'll get what he called. They're like, they're like, oh, that's so groat. I was like, gross is not that short a word. You know, really got to shorten it down to groat. Okay. That's because they're totes jelly. Yo, man. Idiocracy the is upon us. Here, baby. <laughs> All right. I'm calling it. Sean Engel, yeah. as for you, we miss you, man. Yeah, we do. Godspeed, brother. Give him hell. In heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Engel giving him hell in heaven. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Excellent. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O. T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com 2TrueFreaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. 
friends. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.